0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. Yes, we are live. This is our 10-minute mystery edition. Like we always say, a little bit of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is my co-host and our very own award-winning journalist, Paula Schleiss.
1: Hi, everybody.
0: You know, Paula, just to interrupt you here for a second, I just want to say, I think I was the one who brought podcasting to you. I've listened to podcasts a lot. Let me tell you all, she's a very humble woman, but we are very lucky to have an award-winning journalist with us because I've listened to many podcasts, and they're pretty rare.
1: Well, that's very sweet. It has been quite a job getting used to my voice, getting used to speaking publicly. You know, as a reporter, I just did my work and wrote it in print, and and I didn't have to deal with that public persona. And you've been very supportive, so thank you for that. (laughs) And for the people who are only listening to us um, on the podcast, you said it was live, so we should let them know this is actually being recorded from a Facebook Live session that we are doing Wednesday night, so that's why it's live. So let's get to the story. All right. (laughs) A good one. You know, in the world of true crime, cases with unidentified victims, they're a double mystery. And in some ways, learning the name of the killer is really secondary to learning the name of the victim, because that's such a critical piece of evidence. Well, tonight's 10-minute mystery is an old homicide out of Lawrence County that last year took a step to being solved when authorities were finally able to reveal the identity of a woman that they called the bell in the well. But first, let's go back to April 22, 1981, in a tiny village called Chesapeake. That's a rural community in the county's southern hills. Notably, Lawrence County is Ohio's southernmost county. Let me do this, I'm gonna flip this switch and I can show you, there's a map of Ohio and there's Lawrence County all the way down at the tip. So if you can uh, picture that area that Lawrence County shares a border with Kentucky and West Virginia. So on that mild spring day in 1981, teenage sisters Tammy and Kathy Baxter were exploring near their father John's home on Wright Ridge. Nearby, there were the remains of a house that had burned down about six years earlier and a well that had been covered by some wooden beams. Of course, the girls did what any self-respecting, curious teens would do, what you would do, Steve. I'm sure if you came across a well with a, a cover on it, they pulled the beams off and peered down into the dark depths of the cistern. And that's when they saw it. There was a dead body down there, or at least the remains of one, covered by the water that had filled the well. The girls ran home and the authorities were called. The local fire department drained the well and recovered a badly decomposed form, which was mostly skeleton, but still had some muscle tissue clinging to the bones. The coroner ruled the cause of death strangulation. He guessed she had been in the well for one to two years. A cinder block had been tied around her neck with a rope to weigh her down. It was a block that matched others that had been used to cover the well. Now, the remains offered very little to go on. She was white, had dark hair, was perhaps five foot three inches tall, maybe 140 pounds. Based on the absence of her 12-year-old molars and some evidence of gum recession, the woman they called Belle, for lack of any other name, was estimated to be between 30 and 60 years old, a really wide range. Now, Belle was dressed in layers, gray flannel slacks, two pairs of socks on her feet, and socks on her hands that were held in place with a rubber band on each wrist. Hmm. But decomposition was far too advanced to get fingerprints. So there went one of the key ways of identifying a body back in those pre-DNA years. There was one other promising clue. There were some items found with a the body. There was a key to a locker at a Greyhound terminal in Huntington, West Virginia, a bus ticket, a pay stub, and a commemorative coin featuring the popular televangelist Jerry Falwell.
0: Hmm.
1: Lauren, you know what? I'm going to show you a couple pictures. Yeah, can you show me that? I keep forgetting to do these pictures. There we go. So there we're going to have the first headline of the day when the teenagers found the body in the well. And here, if you can see, the backlighting on this uh, computer is kind of bright, but there's
0: law
1: enforcement, a firefighter. They're looking down in the well. Now, law enforcement went to Huntington, West Virginia. It wasn't far away. As you can see, it's just across the Ohio River. They found some bus station employees who thought they remembered seeing the woman though they didn't know her name. They found a person of interest that they took time to question, but not anyone they saw fit to hold or charge. They also looked into a local motorcycle gang. I found a website you might have been curious about the the socks on her hands with the rubber bands. With the rubber bands. I found a website where someone noted that motorcycle riders sometimes use rubber bands on their wrists to stop the wind from blowing up their sleeves. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And the way she was dressed in layers, you know, it was a cold, cold season. You know, you could kind of imagine somebody wearing that much if they were out with motorcycles. But the sheriff's investigators had no luck finding anyone in Huntington who could identify her. One thing seemed likely, however, whoever put Bell in that well knew that well was there. As word of Bell's discovery made the news all over the country, families with missing loved ones reached out to local investigators to determine whether she was their missing mother, daughter, sister, wife. None of them matched. In time, 241 missing women would be compared to Belle's description Hmm. and ruled out. Eight months after Belle was pulled out of the ground, she was put back in. On a cold day in December, she was laid to rest in an unmarked grave off Lost Creek Road. Lost Creek? Lost Creek Road, kind of prophetic there. Right. Right. She was buried on property that was owned by Lawrence County Commissioner Donald Lambert. He, his son David, and three workers buried her. The case was stone cold, but investigators never forgot it. In 2011, they exhumed Bell, and a coroner ordered a 3D facial reconstruction to share with the public. That cast was updated in 2013 and fine-tuned yet again in 2018. Now, the publication, The Atlantic, did an interview with Bill Nenny, who was a brand-new investigator for the Lawrence County Coroner's Office back when Bell was discovered in 1981. He spent years trying to give her a name. Nenny even attempted to identify her using DNA, and familial gene- genealogy. Now, this was before the efforts of the now nationally famous DNA Doe Project, which has been solving some of the country's most difficult mysteries. In that interview with The Atlantic, Nenny said back in 2014, people were beginning to mail their DNA into places like Ancestry and 23andMe. Using DNA from Bell, he signed her up for an account on Ancestry. Now, since the victim was a woman, the key was to find someone who closely matched her mitochondrial DNA. That's the DNA specifically passed on from a mother to a child. Bell's DNA got 50 to 60, somewhat close matches. Ancestry's process allows people to reach out to others who are identified as relatives. So Nenny sent a message to all of them, hoping someone had heard of some family lore, perhaps the tale of a missing relative. The problem is mitochondrial DNA can be shared by distant cousins. For instance, people who share the same great, 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 great grandmother. Now, most people don't know relatives that distant, let alone know their ancient histories. And none of those who responded to Nenny were aware of any legendary family disappearances. Now, Nanny was a man ahead of his time, but time caught up and quickly because three years after Nanny attempted this, the DNA Doe Project was born. Colleen Fitzpatrick and Margaret Press, a hobbyist genealogist and a crime writer, had co-founded the organization based in California. They had a plan to use familial DNA and genealogy to try and solve crimes, and they were looking for cases to take on. The bell in the well was one of the first four cases they accepted. Now, they used a different database, a place called GEDmatch, where people volunteered to submit their DNA. And by 2014, even though it had only been about three years since Nenny had tried this, there were far more samples to compare and more coming in every day. Using DNA extracted from one of Bell's teeth, they sought information from a different part of the DNA that could fine-tune the types of matches that would come back. Now, Bell's case was extremely complicated, and I'm going to tell you why in just a minute. But it took more than 30 volunteers, thousands of hours, and 14 months to figure it out. Wow. I know, and I'll, I'll explain this in a minute. And in 2019, the DNA Doe Project and Lawrence County authorities announced success. 38 years after Bell was discovered, they figured out who she was. Her name was Louise Virginia Peterson Flesher, born on June 15, 1915. 1915. In Virginia, 1915. That made her about 63 years old. Wow. Someone took her life and pitched her down that well. Now, while Louise was born in West Virginia, at some point her family migrated to Wyoming. She attended high school there and met her husband. She married Donald Benjamin Flesher, and the couple had three daughters. We know that one of the daughters died as a young woman. By 1944, Louise had returned to West Virginia and settled in Parkersburg. She and her husband divorced at some point. He was already remarried by 1967. And while I'm sure police looked at him, he was pretty much out of her life more than 15 years before Louise was killed. Now about those challenges the DNA Doe Project had, the founder said they've solved more than a dozen Jane and John Doe cases in the three years they've been doing this. But even now, the bell in the well was the hardest one to solve taking them a full 14 months to figure out that's because where louise was born there was a lot of intermarrying within the community most of her ancestors were related to each other often in more ways than one
0: this happened a lot more than people realize
1: yeah well clearly i mean this was interesting lee redgrave she was a the dna doe volunteer who helped with the case. She described it instead of a family tree that has branches, Louise's family tree was a bowl of spaghetti. <laughs> so but, the, <laughs> you can picture, you have to like loyal. follow each of those lines. <laughs> now the DNA they submitted to GEDmatch got 180 matches this time, oh, okay. all cousins of varying degrees. <laughs> they had to sort through obituaries, birth and marriage certificates, even old census records trying to figure out the familial ties. Get this, they compiled a family tree that had 43,130 people on it. Now they knew probably one of those 43,000 people was Belle, but they didn't know which one. But there was one detail in the DNA that stood out. It seemed likely that Belle had a parent that wasn't from that community. So distant, in fact, the parent might've come from a foreign country. Now, at the very time the DNA Doe Project volunteers are exploring this idea, someone in Canada with German ancestry takes a swab from their cheek, sends it off to ancestry, then loads the results up on GEDmatch. Well, when this new addition to the family tree shows up and they find a German man who had emigrated to the West Virginia community, the Doe Project volunteers had an aha moment. The German man and his wife had a daughter named Louise. And that seemed very promising. When they learned that Louise went to high school in Wyoming, Redgrave, she was the one of the volunteers on this case, she searched the inter- internet for any evidence of a high school yearbook. She was hoping to find a photograph, an image that she could compare to that 3D forensic facial model. And as luck would have it, someone on eBay was selling the very 1934 edition in which Louise Peterson would have appeared. Hmm. When the yearbook arrived, the volunteer opened it up, compared the picture of Louise to the facial reconstruction, and saw some familial features. Of course, there was one final test. Authorities went in search of Louise's two remaining daughters and found them both alive. One was in her 70s, one was in her 80s. They got a swab from one of them and they compared it to the DNA from the Bell in the well and it matched. That's when detectives learned the answer to something else that had long bothered them. One reason Bell had gone unidentified for so long was because Louise had never been reported missing. Turns out she was estranged from her entire family, including her daughters. Not being on speaking terms, they didn't even know she was missing. There was also some indication Louise may have suffered from mental illness. One of her daughters married young enough that the certificate required her parents' permission. And on the marriage application where the mother should have put her signature, the certificate read, mentally ill, can't sign. Hmm. Now, DNA Doe co-founder Colleen Fitzpatrick, you know what I got a picture of here. Oh, Let me show you. Here's Colleen. Thank you for all your hard work, Colleen. There we go. Oh, and let me go back. So here's that facial reconstruction. Oh, wow. And here's the yearbook of Louise. Hi, Louise. They Mm -hmm. found you. Anyway, Colleen Fitzpatrick, she spoke at a press conference last year when they announced this discovery. And she explained that what must be a wonderful moment when you can give a name to another human soul that has just been lost for so long. She said, when you finally make an identification, it becomes real. It's not theoretical anymore. It's not a person in a well. It's not just a Jane Doe. It's a real person with mother, father, children went to high school, had jobs. Of course, there is still the mystery of who killed Louise and why. The Lawrence County Sheriff said they have no suspects. And that's why this is still an Ohio mystery.
0: Well, that's it for our midweek 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-sized Ohio mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week. And may all of your mysteries have happy endings.